0: Welcome to the Huntback Country podcast today. This is episode number 322, and our guest is a listener of the show, Matthew. He had quite a unique experience. Between graduating college with his master's degree and starting his new career, he volunteered for a summer to help a guide and outfitter on Montana and use that time he spent to then essentially earn his way into a free elk hunt. So we tell that story and much more. I appreciated the story and Matthew's drive, but also it was fun to hear a behind-the-scenes look about a guide and outfitting operation. This all took place in the Bob Marshall Wilderness, which, as I'm sure you know, is just a truly wild, remote, and awesome place. So I hope you guys enjoy this story. As always, if you have any questions, guest suggestions, or topic suggestions for us, you can email podcast at xomountaingear.com. Right now, here's this conversation with Matthew.
1: So real quick, I'll just introduce myself. Uh, You know, I'm Matthew. Uh, I work in Nashville. I'm an auditor. And I I just like a few years ago, I kind of got the itch to start hunting and luckily now my now wife uh we were just dating at the time and her dad asked invited me to go on a dove hunt with them and that just like trickled down and <laughs> now i'm here She <laughs> went from dove hunting to uh the bob yeah you know i'm glad you said the bob because a lot of people don't get to like don't see that and or don't understand like wilderness and like what it what it really is and it's it's wild. Um like just from the you know no power tools like working there to everything. It's just like such a wild place like having wolves in camp like yeah. the day after I got say,
0: like you mentioned wilderness and you mentioned no power tools and there's like there's a connection there. I'm not saying wilderness in terms of uh, not as a generic term of like, oh, it's outside, it's wild, it's the backcountry or whatever, but like capital W, federally protected wilderness, where you truly have restrictions on power tools and motorized vehicles and all that stuff.
1: Yeah, so uh, I think it was the Wilderness Act, of, I want to say 1964, but I might be wrong on that. They... You know, the federal government came in and designated several areas throughout the United States as wilderness, and what that meant was that it was to stay the way it was, meaning that there would never be development in there, there would never be roads, and there would never be power tools or any sort of uh, motors. And up until then, uh, coincidentally, in the Bob Marshall, they had several areas that they were using power tools before that happened like even as, even the forest service like right behind our camp they were bailing hay for the winter and they were wintering horses in there so like it not only shook like the um the user you know you and me going in and you know, backpacking in or whatever it may be it not only changed how we had to do things but it also changed how the forest service had to do things and you know all their firewood for the winter is cut with a crosscut saw and and those things things. (laughs) yeah Yeah. (laughs) those things are rough
0: yeah so take us back to like and this is could be a longer story i'm sure but jumping from that bird hunt to finishing your master's getting the job COVID and then getting into the wilderness, because there's a lot of intersecting parts of that story there.
1: Yeah. So um, before I started hunting, I've, I've been a pretty big fly fisherman for a few years now. And my dad got a trip several years ago for him and I to go in and uh, pack in and fish on the South Fork, the Flathead in the Bob Marshall and that kind of planted the seed of the bob for me um and while i was in there the outfitter had mentioned hey you know we're always looking for college kids to come in and help us set up camp for the fall and cut firewood and he was like i wouldn't even like make you guys pay i just i just need help and you guys can you know work half the week and fish half the week and i got out i called like four of my friends i was like guys we have to do this (laughs) And because I don't know if you've ever fished the South Fork, but it is just ridiculous <laughs> but uh and then you know so that kind of led me into the wilderness, and then, as far as hunting goes, you know, I kind of got into it from like fly fishing to conservation to hunting, which is kind of a different route than most people would take, yeah, what do you mean by that? I'd love to hear more so i uh I was, kind of, I was pretty involved with conservation like outside of high school and i wanted to find I you know i just loved like the conservation side of uh the hunting world or the outdoors rather and at the university of alabama we didn't have any sort of trout limited or anything but we had a national wild turkey federation and i got involved I uh, actually just like saw them in our student center, like with a sign. And I went over and talked to them and, you know, learned more, went to the banquet, kept learning more and uh, met some really great friends along the way. And uh, it just, like, I still had never hunted before. And I talked to my father-in-law. Well, my, now he's my father-in-law at the time. He was my girlfriend's dad. And I was like, hey, I really want to come on your guys' dove hunt this year. Because I was like, super, super friendly, like, you know, easy way to get into the whole hunting situation and hunting scene. Uh, Not a whole lot of stress. I don't have to be quiet. I don't have to learn a whole lot. Because, you know, they go in and manage the field and whatever. And we, so I went with them. And then about. Two weeks after the hunt, we got uh, my now brother in law helped us get permission to hunt hogs on the guy, the landowner's property. The landowner, man, salt of the earth, like awesome guy. And that fall, I guess, well, I guess that winter, because in Alabama, we have like completely different situations. Seasons than everybody else in the country. Like our, yeah, you're so far our, deer south. Se- our deer season goes into like the end of February.
0: Yeah. When's the, do you know when's the whitetail rut there? It's probably
1: December. No, it's like the last week of January. Is it, It's that late. <laughs> yeah. Oh, dang. Okay. And now I live in Tennessee and our whitetail rut is over right now. Yeah. And it's like how, I don't understand how like just we have November in Tennessee and it's January in alabama yeah, yeah. it's it's got only a few to...
0: hundred miles really i mean depending on what
1: part of the state you're talking yeah, about yeah i mean obviously it could be less could be more when i i didn't start seeing bucks chasing does until like the second week of january when i was uh in alabama but like just last week or two weeks ago i was seeing bucks chasing does here in tennessee but so I kind of got into hunting through that. And then before our dove hunt, I was like, you know what? I, I really want to go do a big Western hunt. And I know like I have no exposure to hunting, but might as well just start building points or something. So I got points for Montana and Wyoming. And after that deer season, I got two deer, um, nothing really worth writing home about. like a couple backpack deer i call them backpack deer because it's like so small you can put them in a school backpack (laughs) you're a backpack hunter officially yeah exactly exactly (laughs) um and i bought points and i was like i don't know when i'm going to use them but I it'll be better to have them and not use them than need them and not have them so fast forward a couple months march hits things start getting wild and the world and this is march of 2019 uh this is march of 2020 oh i should probably rewind a little bit yes i should um so we did a- multiple work trips with the outfitter and i started to develop a really good relationship with him and So how, sorry to cut you off. How long
0: were you on these trips? And this is still fishing, not hunting, but you're working and you're fishing.
1: How long were you out there? So we would do eight day trips. Okay. So one day in, one day out, three days of working and three days of fishing. Okay. And you would just do that like once a year. Yeah. We were doing it once a year and, uh, I still plan them for a bunch of guys who go out there. I just don't have the ability to do so with work schedule and whatnot. So we would go in, you know, cut firewood cause it's all cross cut tools. We'd uh, cut posts for hitch rails, cut posts for um, the, the tent frames. We would, you know, we dug a well, we did a lot of things that like, without 10 guys or eight guys, I don't know how we would have gotten, how the outfitter would have gotten those things done. Like they still have residual firewood from the first year we were in there. And it's like, I was telling them, I was like, you need to start Like we need to start re-racking these, this firewood, because we need to make sure that the old stuff's getting burned first. (laughs) (laughs) So, we still do the trips. I plan two a year uh, for a handful of guys. Um, My brother in law is going out there for the first time this year. And, you know, just by building that relationship, I kind of developed the ability and I was able to talk to the outfitter about hunting. And I was like, you know, I want to come in and do a hunt, but I just don't know anything about elk. I don't know anything about. Mule deer. I don't even know anything about whitetail deer. Like I grew up in Los Angeles. Like I have. I had no exposure to hunting until my senior year of college, and it went from it being like a pipe dream to it getting being real really quick when COVID hit. Because when COVID hit, I was like, I had already gotten my job uh, secured, and I was like all right, we're on week three of two weeks. I don't think, I, th- I think it's worth it just to apply. And even if I get drawn, I'll eat the tag if I need to. Because you were supposed to start the job.
0: September 1st. September 1st. So you're applying thinking, uh, if I get it, maybe I can use it if my job's delayed, but I may have to eat it because it may be starting a brand new job.
1: Yeah, I, I'm applying on a gamble in essence because I was like, well, you know, at least the money's going somewhere that I believe in, regardless. <laughs> Even if I have to eat the tag, like I trust these state, uh, most of the state's uh, fish and game departments, and I think the money's going to be good uses. But I was, totally gambling at that point and then you know fast forward two months it was not a gamble anymore because you know we we're in full lockdown and at that point i was like now it's not a gamble of whether i'll be able to go now or whether i'll be able to go with work it's a gamble of whether i'll be able to go with the state being open mm-hmm. so like a lot of that and at the same time i'm studying for the cpa exam and working and uh also trying to study for or trying to learn as much as i can about elk and habitat and tendencies and everything along the way and luckily it all worked out i was able to i went up On June, we left Nashville on June 30th of 2020, June 30th, July 30th, 2020. And I did not come back until second week of October. On a little adventure before you start a new career. Yeah, it's, it's, I, I highly recommend it to everybody. Like if you have the ability and you're, you know, getting ready to start, full-time work out of college do something whether it's like working on a ranch or you know working in the wilderness like i did like do something that's gonna give you some drive when you start work
0: Mm -hmm. And, and honestly it's part of the reason i wanted to
1: tell the story and we'll get
0: into more about the actual hunt but you know there's just there's probably guys listening to this podcast uh you know we have ages all over right so there's seven-year-old guys who are retired. Uh, there's a lot of guys in between, but there's some young guys who are listening to this, maybe never considered that, um, that they can do this or go work for free and essentially have some opportunities created because of it. Um, so yeah, man, I want to hear more about your experience doing that. I know, you know, from the story now you've done it a little bit for the fishing side, but going back into you spending essentially two months out there, um, before we get into the hunt, definitely tell us about what does that work look like when you're getting there for the first part of the trip?
1: Yeah. So, uh, early mornings and late nights, you know, I, I for a long time, I never understood how outfitted hunts cost so much until I actually like what's out there. And cause you're looking at, so the outfitters, you know, let's say for us, you know, I can't give any any support for any other outfitters or areas for us. We, we were getting up at two or three o'clock in the morning days. We would pack in, we would start saddling the mules and the horses and getting all of our duffel manied up, all of the clients duffel manied up. And Manny's just what, what goes on the side of a meal. Um, that holds all the stuff if you just google search manny you'll see like what they look like it just looks like a it really just looks like a box that's wrapped in canvas Um, but just getting everything ready for a trip and then it's a nine hour pack in given that we don't have anything crazy happen on the trail and and that was a pretty common occurrence was something would happen on the trail, whether the mules would, on the switchbacks would try and jump up and get on the other side of another mule. And all of a sudden, you've got just like a giant jam and you need to start untying mules and taking packs off and all that. Or we'd run into another outfitter as we're coming over the pass. Because during the summer, at least, Uh, We had a lot of other outfitters using that trail because of the access it gives you to the river because it gives you the South Fork, of the Flathead, there's three main tributaries to it. And it's the Danaher Creek, Young's Creek, and Gord Creek. And we, we were using Gordon Creek Trail. And if you're a floater or a backpacker, it's pretty common that you'd ask to be dropped at the confluence of the gordon creek trail because upriver of there if there's not a lot of water you there's a low chance that you're going to be able to float all the way down plus there's like a giant laundromat that's like 200 yards long that you really have to portage around even if you are in a boat that's just upstream of the gordon creek confluence so a lot of floaters would use the use Gordon Creek as their as they're into floating the South Fork, and so we'd see a lot of other outfitters, um, lots of grizzly bear sign on that pass, and like it's crazy because you know we always talk about the Yellowstone, uh, the Greater Yellowstone ecosystem having just enormous numbers of grizzly bears i didn't realize this until i was up there but the bob marshall has more and it like you realize i realized it when i was hunting that oh man i'm not the only thing that's hunting these like there are so many things that are actually predators to these animals that they they have a really tough living in it and it shows. Uh, you know, there's not a, when Steve was talking about a sheep hunt and he talked about how little game they saw that resonated really well because I was like, yeah, that's, that's the experience I had because we weren't seeing much game. We'd see sign, but not much game itself. And it, you know, I don't know what it is about these wilderness areas. It could be wolves, it could be grizzly bears, you know, i I don't think I need to get in the wolf debate, um, but they, they they just have a tough living. And uh, yeah, so, you know, going in and out, in and out all the time, we would, we'd be working, you know, 20 hours, 20 hour days is pretty common on days we'd pack in and out. And then when we were in there, if we had clients in there on a summer trip, you know, We'd get up before the sun comes up, get some horses saddled if they wanted to go down river to fish. They want to go up river to fish, bring them down there, hang out there, you know, sit there in glass while they're fishing and bring them back before dinner. And, you know, all the meals that we did for summer trips or and, and the hunting trips even were always hot meals outside of lunch lunch was always sack lunches so it was it was a grind but it was an experience that i wouldn't give up for the world i guess like that type two fun where you look back and you go man that that day sucked but man i had such a great time yeah (laughs) the things you do when you're young and you can take the long days and the hard work and yeah and and i would take it for forever man it was just such a great time great experience and then you know fast forward a couple months like my dad came in with his group so i got to hang out and see my dad which now i don't get to see him a whole lot now i live in tennessee Um, but we yeah it was just a lot of long days and i learned so much about you know stock and different things like i was never a boy scout or anything like that and i had no clue how helpful knowing knots was (laughs) what any um
0: i don't know maybe like learned these obviously by experience in the field but if you know the names any particular knots that you're like oh yeah you got to know these or these are the most useful
1: yeah we used uh Bowlens a lot mm-hmm. and then you know just a classic uh i don't know what they actually call them i've heard them called like cowboy knots but just like the the hitch rail knot the The horse to a hitch trail knot Mm -hmm. because it's quick to pop out. Like even if you're just doing something like you need to put, you know, when we were putting up the tents and you just need it to hold like temporarily before you actually tighten it down. Like just having those like quick, you know, slip knots that you can adjust and pop in and out pretty quickly make a huge difference. And yeah, half hitch is like. This sounds stupid, but man, a half hitch is like the greatest thing that the world has ever discovered.
0: <laughs> After the wheel and fire comes the yeah, half hitch.
1: Exactly, man. Those a half hitch, you could do just about anything you need to without, with a half hitch. Um, but, you know, just... and part of it was just even growing as like a person who, cause there's a, like, I think I grew more in those two months as a person than I did in like a year and a half preceding it. Just because like you're working those long days and yeah, it's tough, but you just got to keep your head up and keep a smile on your face. Cause you know why you're there and you know i could either be there or i could be at home twiddling my thumbs wishing you know i was out doing something crazy like that and you know when i was there the longest stint i was in i think was 12 days and that was in the wilderness um and that was i was on layover between two trips we went in and brought a bunch of, we did like a hay run or I'm not sure if it was a hay run or we we're just bringing in, uh, stuff for camp. It was just me and the other guide. And we went all the way in and stuck it out in there. And that was actually when I had like, like after when we were in there, we had like a down day and we went up to the top of a knob and, it was about two hours of dark and we shot out one bugle and we had like six come back at us and from like all different directions. And we we're like, well, this one's the loudest. Let's go to that one. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's the closest. Yeah. But just being in there, you know, kind of got me the opportunity to kind of learn about like where do elk live? Cause were you, with
0: other guys that uh, had that experience, were you learning, you know, partially on your own, just from being in the environment, encountering a game or calling
1: yeah, or so, also
0: like learning directly from someone who's like, Hey, here's what we're doing. Here's why,
1: etc." cetera. No, it was definitely, I would say we were learning together. Um, Cause, but when the outfitter was there, I was definitely learning from somebody when, he, when we actually had the outfitter in there. Mm-hmm. And and he was in there for all of our trips. But if we were on layover or something like that, it was kind of just learning as we go. And because the other out the other guide, he I say the other guide, but I really was not a guide. Um I was more of a packer than anything. But I think like technically the outfitter just uses the term guide as like an all encompassing term, but he had gone through guide school and this was his first year, uh, working for an outfitter. So we were both learning as we went and, you know, a lot of it was trial and error. Like I put in, I put, I can't tell you how many miles I put on my feet. because. It, man, it was just painful. I, I had, I've had i never had worse blisters in my life, <laughs> but at the same time, why was I there? You know, it, it was either that or sitting at home twiddling my thumbs. Yeah, did you
0: end up sticking with those same boots for the time that you're out there? Did they like eventually break in and you figured out how to make uh, them
1: work? So there was just like the Solomon, uh, gosh, I can't think of them like the is it Quest? Quest so, yeah. yeah, and They're great lightweight boots. I think, uh, before I go back out next year, I'm definitely going to get myself a pair of like good, strong, like crispies or something like that. Um, just because my feet, it wasn't that my feet were blistering because of the boot, it's just I have weird feet, and (laughs) I'm tempted to just go get orthotics and get like an orthotic insert and put them in Mm -hmm. but yeah as i went you know i was still a college kid i didn't have a whole lot of money at my disposal uh so the money i was the money i did spend getting ready is i made sure to buy good glass and a good pack and i knew my rifle i knew my rifle was more than adequate for what i was going to do and you know, that the loads I had cooked up for it were plenty good for what I, what I needed them to do. And I swear every, every guy who, like, enjoys hunting, like, deep back in there, we're all gear junkies at heart. So, you know, just getting into the nitty gritty of it. I, you know, I didn't drop a whole lot of money on boots. In hindsight, I should have. That's like, it is my connection to the ground and a good pair of boots will make a hunt far more enjoyable than the experience I had for the first, I don't know, three weeks of scouting.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: And, you know, we got, there's just so much that we were able to see and you know, just we had a lot of interaction with the Forest Service, you know, the, the ranger right there at Big Prairie. Uh, he's only a couple miles away, so he was pretty approachable. And, you know, they kind of told us, hey, we're, you know, these are the trails that are in pretty rough shape this year. And we don't have any plans on doing anything with them. Just a heads up, like if you guys are planning to hunt up there, you're going to have to clear that trail which led into a lot of the work that i had to do because i would when we had hunters uh i would be with i would be either ahead or behind them with the saw and if they ran into a big log jam they would go up and over it and i would stay back cut it out and then catch back up to them and we got to see you know I'm convinced like my my right arm will never recover from (laughs) a tree falling on it. Just from running Uh, that so much? Yeah, just from running that. And, you know, it's just so awkward like the way trees fall where it's like, yeah, I can if I cut this I might not be able to get all the way through it because it's going to pinch. So you got to think about it in multiple ways. And I actually just sent the outfit or a bottle jack and i said you need to leave this one of your guides because whoever's clearing trails is going to need this because those if if you get the saw pinch and you can't get it out it's a pain in the neck because you gotta do another cut below it and try and cut all the way to the saw and it's just a mess but you know following the guide i was able to see what what elk country looks like, you know, what, what do I need to be looking for during an early rifle hunt or a archery hunt? Mm -hmm. And so the Bob Marshall has an early rifle season. And so their rifle season opens September 15th and which is completely a function of distance and topography (laughs) because, you know, road hunters aren't going to be able to, get in there at all yeah because you're yes, really unit, limited yeah your unit boundary is eight miles from a trailhead just to get into the union and so we you know we were clearing trail and working a lot of uh i'm blanking on the term uh we're basically working a lot of long days and getting things ready for the fall and you know our area has a lot of has a burn from 2003 i believe and a 2003 burn that hasn't reburned is pretty pretty tough to hunt through Mm -hmm. or tough to hike through tough to hunt through tough to ride a horse through just because every year is more downfall and we had a couple wind storms that came in while we were in there and if we had a windstorm and we had, you know, a summer trip in, I would go back up the trail two mile or an hour and a half, verify that nothing had fallen. If things had fallen, I'd clear them out of the way and then come back. Cause the last, I don't know, three hours of the ride in, it's all through a burn. So there's a lot of Things that could go wrong on that trail, and being up there, be, riding that trail in a windstorm is like the scariest thing I've ever done, because it sounds like gunshots are going off and you don't know what's a safe tree. <laughs> yeah I've had some sleepless
0: nights on the mountain for that exact reason of being in a tent and a windstorm with that fall that you just you couldn't find a spot to get away from it, really, and it's like this is not
1: ideal <laughs> yeah, it's it's freaky because it sounds like gunshots are going off and it's just wild
0: yeah so what was you know you're doing a lot of work um as you talked about there's so much that's involved with just really being able to live back there and host uh whether it's hunters or fishermen and all that goes into preparing a campsite and clearing trails and obviously taking care of horses and mules and all that goes into that. But when hunters actually start to show up, what was, you know, because you're, you're newer to hunting, you're newer to obviously being on that side of call it a packer um, for hunters. So I'd just love to hear more about your experience on when hunters start showing up and it's hunting season. What was it like from your perspective when you're not the hunter yet, but you're essentially a a packer?
1: Yeah. So we, I got the, um, I kind of got to trail, you know, being a packer and clearing trails, I kind of got to trail the guides and learn the areas just by being, just by following them. And that was beneficial for my hunt. But when it comes down to just the hunters and like having them in camp, it's a blast. Like guy, if the guy doesn't enjoy his job. He's not going to do it long because it's they're long days, but it's all worth it. It's all enjoyable. Having hunters in camp, we would, you know, we be getting up at 3 a.m. to saddle all the horses because we gotta be on the trail right, you know, before daylight. And um you know having the experience of being able to trail them, I just learned so much of wire elk here. Came we had a few wallows. We smelled elk a lot, but we actually never we didn't I only saw like 10 elk the two months I was there, which that's like, crazy. Yeah. <laughs> so like, if I were to do it again, it, or if I were to go back and like never have had this experience again, I would look at population densities before I even started reaching out to outfitters. Yeah. Do you
0: think, and maybe you don't know, um, do you think many, of the hunters coming in for that hunt knew what they were getting into. Absolutely. Because you're choosing that not necessarily because of the elk hunting, like clearly you're there to hunt and you hope to get on some and have the experience and potentially fill a tag, but you're also going for the whole experience of packing into the Bob and just being in that true wilderness. Do you feel like that hunters knew what they were getting into essentially?
1: Yeah. For the most part we did. I, I would say yes. Um, The hunters that were in there with us, they were all, they all had really good spirits and they knew that, you know, it's public land. Anybody can go in there, but it's almost at the same time private land because few people like physically can get in there. Mm -hmm. Um, But all the, almost all the hunters we had had a really good, Mindset coming into it. Um, They knew that, look, populations aren't what they were. And we are here almost for the experience more than the animal. And so almost all of our hunters were residents, actually. Um, And we had, I think, I want to say we covered just in my my time I was there like during a hunt we'll probably cover I don't know 250 miles Wow. yeah and then you know there were a few opportunities that they had elk that you know either were too far out and they didn't really have a chance to make a stock that night or elk that were in for lack of a better world world for back for lack of a better word hell holes is Mm. where they were and if you kill an elk there you better hope it goes down right where it is because if it wanders off you're never going to see it again so you know we had a few of those experiences and um but the hunters for the most part knew like hey we are We're out here, like mainly to experience this wild place, and not necessarily to fill a tag. Because you know, if you if all you care about is filling a tag, man, there's there's plenty of private land outfitters that manage a herd, but those you know those wilderness areas it's the experience more than anything. And that's what it was for me, at least is I just really enjoyed the experience of going up on top of these mountains and going, Holy smokes. Like the only reason anybody would ever be on top of this mountain is in pursuit of game.
0: Yeah. There's um, I think that's one thing that gets um, lost by some non hunters is How much more you experience wild places and nature and the outdoors as a hunter? Yeah, I would say that's not true of everyone or every type of hunting. But you know, just even thinking of like through hikers or backpackers, and I'm not saying this is any sort of like negative way, but they're pretty much just always staying on the trail and they're they're seeing great things. But if you start hunting and hunting the mountains and backcountry hunting, you just see so much. And you see it so much differently than you really probably would never see otherwise.
1: Yeah. And I would say like, like hiking through is a great way to see landscape. Hunting is a really great way to get immersed in landscape. Yeah. It's a good way to put it because when you, when you're off the trail and you're coming across things, you know, even if it like when we were up there, we came across a, Canadian lynx and there's no way like I, I don't even when we asked the Forest Service about it the the ranger said he'd only seen one in his like eight years of being there and we're out hunting and we're seeing them you know and lynx are beautiful animals um, but you know seeing everything from links to mountain goats to, you know, there's just so much that you would never see if your purpose is just going through the, just, you know, going from point A to point B and not venturing off and looking for something else.
0: So I'm going to jump ahead in part of the story uh, for the sake of time talk about um this eventually we'll get to your hunt here um but there's a point where you um have a hunter you guys spot some elk and essentially the hunter passes on it because of the location of the elk and what it was going to take to get to it and that i think feeds your hunt later
1: yep absolutely so we're up on a mountain um i've cleared some trail behind them and I just caught up to them on the glassing knob. And they're up there looking. And uh, I sat down, opened my lunch, started eating. And the hunter had, he was sitting there glassing and he said, Hey, I think I see elk. And the guy or the outfitter was with him. He picked up his glass and moved over to where he was. And he goes, yeah, those are elk, but we're not gonna be able to get a meal there and the we got a little bit closer and you know we got closer and said yeah there's no way we're gonna be able to get a meal there and the hunter you just said all right like that's fine We'll, we'll find another and what that told me was we can't get a meal there but I didn't buy a frame pack for nothing. (laughs) (laughs) So, uh, you know, fast forward a little over a week and we have hunters who different group in camp, um, we have hunters that they're all, they're all a little bit older and they had been saying that they don't want to chase the peaks. They don't want to go up the mountains. Um, so they were hunting the meadows uh down at the river bottom and talked to the outfitter. I said, Hey, you know, these three guys, they all want to hunt the river bottoms, and we had a moose hunter in camp, and they were mainly just in there to experience his moose hunt with him. And um, I was like, Hey, would you mind if I went up to X Mountain? and hunted up there today he was like yeah we don't really have you know even if you had stuff to do down here like you're not a licensed guide you can't really do much so why don't you go ahead go up there go go get that bowl?" and i went up there and when we had initially seen it we had seen uh a nice branch antler. it looked like a six point but i couldn't tell you um and then a raghorn and I was more than content with a raghorn, <laughs> but it, it is a bull only unit. So I knew that I had no chance of shooting a cow or anything like that. And we, I went up there, I was freezing, man. It was like raining down at the bottom and it was like 30 mile an hour winds and snowing up on top. And I, I was, I sat down, ate my lunch, I a glass, a glass a little bit sat down i had to get out of the wind so i went and leaned up against a tree ate my lunch and i was like i am freezing my balls off i need to get off this mountain or go find some animals move around do something because i am too cold and i actually had sent a message to my college roommate from my in-reach and it was something along the lines of like a list of all the clothes that i was wearing (laughs) <laughs> and uh, it was Matthew versus the cold. The cold is winning. <laughs> yeah. And so I got up and I looked over on this this face, and I was like, "Man, that those don't that doesn't look right. Those don't." I wonder if it's the weather. And I picked up my glass, and I saw three rocks kind of moving. Left to right, and I got a little bit closer, and I was like, "Holy crap, those are elk!" There was a bull in there. I went back and grabbed my rifle out of the scabbard off the mule or off the horse, and got a little bit closer. I ranged them at like 600 yards, and I was like, "All right, well, I can if I tuck up and over the face and come around, I I should be able to get within at least 200 yards." And I I did that. And when I got up there, I realized that there was a tree line that, would, that was perfectly covering the elk from that angle. So I had to like come back down into the canyon and come back up over. And when I saw that bull, I ranged him, and he was at like 320 yards. And I found a good solid rest and went through like eight breathing cycles because I had never gotten like buck fever before because and I'm right, freezing cold. Yeah. And I'm freezing <laughs> cold and like the adrenaline and everything like I went through like six breathing cycles, turned the safety on and off like four times, <laughs> like <laughs> realizing oh man, there's so much going on. And then I just like took a minute Put my head down it's like all right this is the range of the shot this is you know what i'm zeroed at i know i'm gonna have to aim about you know six inches higher than i than zero and it it'll be a good shot and the wind was kind of settling down it was still blowing but nothing like it was um and the bull had bedded out in the open, and I was like, this isn't a sign, like I don't know what is. <laughs> <laughs> so I you know, I was on a good rest. I had there's a, a dead fall, of course. Um, and put my rifle on there, went through a few breathing cycles, and then I was comfortable to make the shot, and I took the shot, and the ball it hit the bowl, I, I heard it, and Then one of the cows behind him stood up and I noticed that that cow had a collar on it. So after the hunt, I actually emailed the um, biologist and she said, Oh yeah, they're doing a study over in this area. um, Trying to see, you know, where they're wintering versus or where they're summering versus where they winter, Mm -hmm. which I was really glad to see that, you know, the state's doing that kind of research on a, on a herd that's in decline um and then i you know back to the hunt i racked another round i took a second shot hit again i racked a third round and the bull had stood up and when i shot he was falling and i ended up going through like straight through his spine he was like falling towards me. And oh, yeah. So he was dropping. and Yeah, yeah he was dropping. But, you know, I'm going to keep shooting until that bull's on the ground. Mm-hmm. Uh, just making sure that, you know, as a hunter, I do my job to make sure that he expires quickly if he's been shot. Mm-hmm. And he went down and I was like, oh, my gosh, I just killed a freaking elk. I was like, I like, I broke down. I started crying. I was up there (laughs) by myself. I don't don't care. You know, I could. I would have done. I would have done it in front of a crowd of twenty thousand people. Right. Break down and started crying, and got up, grabbed my pack, went out there, and uh, started cleaning him up to get down the mountain. And uh, as I was, so I, I got him. I got his back straps and his tenter lines out that night, or one side. And with how much it was snowing and the wind, I was comfortable uh, leaving him there and knowing that nothing was really going to get to him. And, you know, hindsight, yeah, I could have put him in a tree and hung him up, but I don't even know. If I had a, if I would have had a good tree to hang them up in to get them away from grizzly bears, just because of, you know, it's all deadfall. Mm -hmm. Um, So I went up, got, got some of them, took them out that night. And as I'm coming down the mountain, I turned my radio on to tell the outfitter, Hey, I got a bull down up on this mountain. I'm gonna have to go back up there in the morning. and." I didn't hear anything back. So I just let it be. And when I got into camp, I, uh, walked up to the cook and I said, Hey, Bob, uh, how does 10 sound for dinner? tonight?" he got a big old smile on his face. He's (laughs) in his seventies and he just comes in and cooks. He got a big old smile on his face. He goes, you got one. (laughs) I was like, yes, sir. And I handed him the bag and he was super excited. And then, when the outfitter came back he was like i heard you over the radio did you get a bowl i was like yes i did he was like well that's great he's like oh, that's awesome he's like we'll go up there and get it up get it out tomorrow and man i was living on cloud nine i was <laughs> like texting my at the time she was my fiance i texted my wife texted uh my brother my brother my dad my brother-in-law like everyone <laughs> yeah and i went you know when we went up and got him we brought him down and we actually ran to the forest service on our way down and uh i was pulling the mule and uh the forest service ranger is like matthew you got one i was like yes sir and he was like makes it worth it doesn't it because he knew what the situation was with me and the outfitter.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And I was like, absolutely. And man, we've been I'm still we're still eating on it. I just got a, a deer two weeks ago and I've got a couple ducks in here now. But uh yeah, he's he's fed us well and uh he was a he, you know he was a young six point uh I couldn't tell you what elk score but the outfitter told me he's probably around 280. Nice. I don't, I don't know what that means to the listeners, but it um, doesn't mean anything to them. It's your bowl. That's right. <laughs> you know, I, my, uh, my dad asked, he was like, so, so where do you, wh- what's next on your uh, list? I was like, uh, what do you mean? What's next? I'm not done elk hunting. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, you know, we, My dad and brother coming out next year and we're doing a hunt. And uh depending on a few things, I may just get a bear tag and tag along with them and just be able to see them get immersed in the landscape that I love. Because and the three of you guys are headed
0: back into the bob for that hunt. Yep. Yep. Nice.
1: So that's on our list. And I've been telling my brother to stop deadlifting and start hiking <laughs> but you know a lot of this comes down to like that first exposure i had to hunting with my father-in-law my brother-in-law of just shooting doves in south central alabama and you know a lot you know like it's just like this hunting thing has taken over my life <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> but I am more than content and I'll be the first person to tell you that. And I'll, I'm more than happy to have that experience. Um, but, you know, going back a little bit when we were up on that knob and bugling these bowls, it was during archery and we had just like a monster, like that was the biggest elk I've ever seen given, like, I'd only seen like 20 elk in my life. But he had like eight cows with him. And we were able to get him from like 600 yards to like 220. And we were losing light. And I was like, you know, like I would love to go after this bull tonight. But if I get an arrow in that bull tonight, we're not going to find him tonight. And who knows where he's going to go. So we just backed off. And I told the outfitter, I said, my hunt could be done right now, as far as I'm concerned, because I had like the craziest, craziest encounter I've ever had with any, any animal. And, you know, since then I've started turkey hunting and turkey hunting is like very similar to elk hunting, I think, uh, minus like the amount of effort that you need to put forward Um, just because there's so much interaction and I think that's what really made the hunt for me was like, yeah, filling a tag's great. Filling a freezer's great. But that experience of a screaming bowl, like still trembles. Like when I'm talking, like I'm sitting here talking about it. And I can feel it in my stomach. Like it is one of the wildest things I've ever experienced. And I hope to never have to give that up.
0: I think, I mean, I had a very similar Experience. It was my second elk hunt and I was hooked up for the first elk hunt that I did um, and didn't even have a ton of encounters, but I already was hooked. But there's like, there was a couple days on the second elk hunt. And it also was the first, uh, first time I got to fill a tag, but even in the days before we filled the tag, like there was just those moments, those experiences close range with elk and they're screaming and like being in that situation that it's, I don't know, man, there's nothing like it. And I still have had plenty of time in the field since then. But like those days, they're just like so seared in me, you know?
1: Yeah. It makes you wish that you could just like walk around Yellowstone with a beagle too, <laughs> <laughs> you know, like just screaming elk. there's nothing like it. Yeah. And yeah, I'm, I just hope to never have to give that up. And I, I don't have any plans to. You know, I've got this hunt next year, and then I think I want to either hunt like a super pressured unit, just so I can see, just so I can gauge how how well I how much I actually learned about elk, because mm. I really still think I'm a beginner elk hunter, and it's it's really unfair that like my first first deer season, I feel you know I got two deer, first elk season I got net, you know, first time hunting elk, got an elk, first time and then I went and hunted ducks that winter and first time going out you know i got a few ducks and man it's just like going from the suburbs of los angeles to hunting elk like it's crazy what my life has turned into but it's i i'm happy with it <laughs> <laughs> but yeah you know i there's still a lot to learn And I think, you know, for for anybody listening that thinks, you know, what this is something I could do, Uh, start laying the groundwork soon because, you know, you don't. I didn't get this figured out like two weeks before season open. I got this figured out months ahead of time because once once they push my start date, I called the outfitter. I said, "Hey, I think they're pushing my start date with work." would you mind if we, or if I came out and work for you and you don't have to pay me, but in exchange, I'd really like to hunt your area. And he was like, well, let me take a look at uh, how many hunters we're going to have in camp and things like that. Cause you know, there's a cap to how many people that can be in camp. And then he called me back like that next week. And he was like, yeah, come on out. He's like, we got plenty of work for you. And yeah, from everything from, you know, driving cows from point A to point B to packing meals, I just immersed myself in the experience and realized, like, man, this is, this is an, this, this, that is all this is, is this is an experience more than anything else.
0: Yeah. And I think, you know, to relate that to guys who are listening to that, but don't have the opportunity to go spend two months out there. Right. The same yeah. could be said for um just honestly any backcountry hunt because you're gonna go into that and maybe it's five days, maybe it's not two months, but just through the process of living in the back country and being forced to deal with weather and shelter and water and just life in the backcountry when you're fully disconnected, you're going to learn so much, um, practically. And as you said earlier, you're going to learn so much about yourself. And that's one of the things that I've taken away from backcountry hunting is yeah. Filling tags is great. And you know, it's the goal, but even on the hunts that, that does not happen. Um, I never, finish a hunt um without taking something away from it right it may not be the animal i was after but i'm taking something away from it
1: yeah absolutely and i think i think that going in with a mindset of along those lines you know just going in there and saying you know what i'm hunting to fill a tag but i'm primarily hunting to learn about the animal and about myself. And, you know, I, I told myself I'm the last thing I want to do is have my body be a limiting factor in my hunt. So I made sure I was in good shape and, you know, the, the Bob isn't really intense with um, what do you call it? With like elevation, like our base camp is only at like 4,600 feet so like elevation wasn't a huge deal. And but just making sure I was in shape to say, hey, if I got an elk somewhere that we can't get a meal to, I'm gonna be able to get it out. And that was a big part of it. So all in all, my my bowl was like 39 miles from a trailhead. Um it was like just about nine from where it was back to camp and then 30 from uh, it's close to 30. I'm not sure if it's quite 30, but about 30 miles from camp to the trailhead. And the tough thing with being on an out of state hunt is like trying to figure out what to do with your meat. So luckily, like that was like, I, my bull, I filled my tag, like, Less than a week before I left, so I dropped it off at a processor, and they you know expedited it, and I got it like on my basically on my way out of town. I got it like the day before I left and headed back to California to see my folks, and then came out to Nashville and moved into an apartment and now i'm a now i'm an auditor yeah (laughs) living a little bit different life than the boss. yeah a little bit (laughs) yeah but you know just like i I encourage anybody to just even if you've never hunted elk before just go out and do it like it is an experience to be had but yeah i think my next thing is just like focusing on archery because screaming elk is a lot like i had i took more from one day of screaming elk than i took from like 30 days of deer hunting (laughs) not to say anything bad about deer hunting but you know it's just like that interaction is really what made it special to me yeah for sure
0: well that's great man i uh i appreciate you telling the time to share the story it's unique um experience that you had you know not only in the hunt but everything that led up to it and that uh it shows a lot of willingness to work so i'm glad that it all culminated for you um and yeah man appreciate sharing it
1: yeah absolutely
0: well there you have it guys i hope you enjoyed that story we always appreciate you tuning in if you're enjoying the show consider sharing it with a friend or leaving us a rating or review in the podcast app wherever you can And once again, if you'd like to contact us directly, just send an email to podcast at exomountaingear.com and we'll talk to you soon.